What's up? This is Matt Franco. And this is Eric Diddleman. Welcome to Mind Over Magic. What's up? This is Matt Franco here in Vegas. We got Diddleman over there in New York. Uh, this is dropping September 10th, which happens to be National TV Dinner ah, Day. Yeah, this is going to be a bank episode because we're both traveling when we normally record. So I'm not going to be really in New York. Well, I am for a day. I'm going to be in Alabama, then New York, then Oregon. And you're, mm-hmm. you're not going to be in Vegas. Massachusetts. You're going to be up in Massachusetts. What's going on up there? Back east. I got a friend getting married so some festivities associated with that so that'll be fun fun stuff um are you a tv dinner guy (laughs) you led with this national tv dinner day yeah i want to know if you're a tv dinner guy. like every day has a thing and you're like i need to know about national tv dinner i did not eat many tv dinners growing up i remember like a handful but i just you know pop it in the microwave and do that that was like a game changer you know, those started back when, like, TVs first came out, I feel. And they're like, you can make a d- dinner and have your whole family in front of the TV and easy to make. And they got, like, what, the Hungry Mans and those kind of stuff. Yes. And <laughs> I thought you would be into it, honestly, because, like, you, like, were doing the HelloFresh thing. I'm not sure if you still are. Yeah, I'm still doing that. But those are, like, actually, like, prepping and cooking meals as opposed to... <sighs> Just taking something pre-made and popping it in, like if I think it's a glorified TV dinner, if you ask me. <laughs> I think the ingredients are a lot fresher, and I understand it's healthier. It's in the name, <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like the fact that these TV dinners, like you just like nuking mashed potatoes and like a brownie or something, and it just felt like school lunch to me in a way. And it came on a tray like school lunch, and I was mm-hmm. never a big fan of school lunch. Yeah. Were you a pack the lunch guy or you actually did the hot lunch at school? I was a brown bag. Bring my own peanut butter and fluff sometimes, mostly just peanut butter sandwich mm-hmm. and, uh, and a couple snacks and just do my own do my own thing from home. But especially being a picky eater growing up. I was like, I don't want to risk whatever this school cafeteria. Maybe on In occasion. In high school too? Yeah. Maybe on occasion I'd get like a pizza thing, but. You know. Is Ronzio's Pizza, uh, was that in Massachusetts or is that a Rhode Island chain? never heard of that. Ronzio's? <laughs> Ronzio's? Yeah. No, I, I didn't know. Like For all I know, it could be like almost as big as Domino's. I really wasn't sure. <laughs> no. They were big in Johnston. Uh, we had Papa Gino's. We, gotcha. We would have like uh, you know pizza parties. Those were always fun to look forward to at school. Mm-hmm. But So you were a TV dinner person? First time I had one was at a friend's house because my family wasn't the type to buy the frozen dinners. Gotcha. So- I was at the Estrada household, you know Derek, and uh, mm. he made me a TV dinner. We must have been eleven or twelve years old, and I had never seen one before, so my mind was uh, my mind was blown. Mm-hmm. Cause it had the dessert there too. It yeah. had the the brownie. Yeah. It did have the brownie. <laughs> yep. I, I think my brother had you know, like was a big fan of those, you know, just because it was easy to to cook and uh, would do the occasional TV dinner. But I would always be like, nah. Do my right. own thing, make my own peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> right. Well, I, you know, the good thing here is that we were staying really on brand with the Mind Over Magic Yeah, I was going to say, you brought this with up. The TV dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what today is. So I think it's important that we, uh, that we make note of it. Absolutely. And I think um, 
the 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 key here is also it kind of ties in. Let's tie this into magic and being performers. Eating on the road, I've been finding wow. difficult, uh, especially as I'm trying to eat more healthy. Like sometimes it's those the only thing open are like you know McDonald's when your show's over, you know. So uh, trying to figure out, you know, it'd be nice to have a healthy option that you could just like have a TV dinner that's good for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 very difficult honestly mm-hmm. um when you yeah, do your of- touring like do you have mm-hmm. special dietary stuff and you're like writer or uh yeah yeah we do because um you know i was i was pretty solid vegan for a couple of years since november i've been a little more flexitarian mm-hmm. but also my road manager uh was vegan so you know, the meals we would have provided would be, uh, you know, at the very least have vegan options. Um, but sometimes you're at an airport. Sometimes you're back at the hotel and there's limited restaurant choices at that time or, or in general. Um, it's it's difficult and you have to be disciplined. And um, I've gotten used to it and kind of uh, good at it. But uh, lately, I've just been not eating as healthy as I want to. Um and I feel even worse about myself because Tiana eats so healthy. Yeah. And we recently got a Peloton bike. Are you familiar with this? Yeah. It's like the, uh, it's a stationary bike and it's got a little screen with an instructor. Yeah. So like, it's got like live classes, I guess, that you can take mm-hmm. at any given time. And there are tons of them and you can see how many other people are in the class. And it's uh, uh, like lots, like. I don't know, hundreds or hundreds of thousands. I'm not sure how many sure. people because I've never used the bike. <laughs> we just got it like a week ago and she's been using it every single day. And wow. you have to get special shoes that like you put on when you jump on the bike. Oh, I had no so idea So you can like that. strap yourself in essentially. Really? And I haven't even put on the shoes yet. So I'm feeling a little down about the fact that I haven't haven't gotten to the exercise in quite some time, but I need to. I'm getting getting mm-hmm. to that point. They have so they have um, uh, like live classes, but are any like pre-recorded? So like you can do it like exercise when you don't have a live c- class. I think so. I, I okay. I'm not the person to ask, but like I think it's literally just a cornucopia of workout options. Like it's just gotcha. an endless supply. If you want to have, you know, um, anybody, if you want a, a male instructor, female instructor, you want a, an instructor in their 50s, I think you can literally decide anything really? you want. And wow. just like, I, that's what I'm imagining in my head. <laughs> Any sort of workout, you know, regimen you want, you can find it on there. Right. Because I've been doing the, uh, you know, my VR exercising uh, and uh, those are pre-recorded instructors that you see, but they mm-hmm. are, do have a, you know, a variety of them and they kind of rotate through each day there's a new workout exercise uh but uh, it's been nice because i'm taking my oculus on the road with me so i've been able to wow. do it you know when i'm traveling in a hotel room or anything like that because it's uh, uh the nice thing about oculus is it's not like plugged in corded anywhere it just needs to be powered up and it sits on your face and you just need space to do it so like you know even stopping and visiting at my mom's place you know i was able to clear space and do it and uh you know like i said that just like next to the bed in the hotel room so i don't have to go down to like the fitness center i think that would be look ridiculous if i was down to the fitness center and, like with my with the VR headset, headset on <laughs> i dare you to do that Yes, People, and film it. 
Well, I wouldn't be able to see the looks I'm getting because my eyes would be blocked. That's so. why you got to film it. <laughs> but that would be so funny. But that's also giving me the idea of, so uh, I, I've seen some very creative uses of VR lately. Uh, well, like some theme parks are using VR in creative ways. I did a roller coaster at Cedar Point a few years back, and uh, they you get to do the roller coaster during the day, but then at night, they give everyone like VR headsets and that you ride the same roller coaster, but now you're like tracked and like you're like a dragon lifting you and it's a whole different experience. So I'm wondering, maybe there's a fitness option where you combine the Peloton with the VR wow. and now you're like using actual equipment, right? Or and like a treadmill. through the forest. Yeah. And it's like wow. a prearranged track and you, you know, you're using like different, um, different ways to go through the forest or the beach or whatever, or like a mine. It could be fantastical. It could be like a, you know, a, a mine cart, like from Lord of the Rings or whatever, you know? It could be like a Mario Kart game. Yeah, exactly. Did we, are we going on Shark Tank after this? <laughs> VR exercise with equipment. Now, just imagine how much the Peloton costs. Plus you got to add a VR headset. <laughs> It's an add-on. That's an all it is. See, here's the thing is we're going to partner with Peloton. It's already in oh, so many homes. There you go. So now we create gonna, the VR system. Keep, uh, we're going to keep Shark Tanking and getting ideas. Yeah, love it. I'm telling you, if anyone's listening to this because they know we're going to forget about this as soon as we <laughs> sign off, like they could just take these ideas right to the bank. Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting you bring up uh, VR. I did something really interesting in the realm of my escape room stuff and there's like vr elements to some of those escape rooms as well uh i did um uh there's a new place when i was visiting home last week or this week <laughs> uh, called level 99 and it's a uh it's an experience you can go and there's like little games you can play and you like have a little wristband and you touch the wristband uh, like I think it was like two hours for like thirty bucks, and it's just like a, a whole, I, like I think of it like a Dave and Buster's almost, where you can just go and play all these different things. But you enter a room, and each room has its own task that you have to figure out what the task is to do. And then depending on how good you are at the task, you unlock like certain gems or stars, and the stars in a group. Yeah, it's it's designed for like two to six people. Uh, so it's just me and my buddy Brian. And the two of us went and like we realized some of the rooms are, you know, kind of skill based. Some are more physical. Some are like, you know, um, you know, about communication with each other. It reminded me a lot of uh, we talked about Crystal Maze on this mm -hmm, podcast. Mm -hmm. So it was like when I was in London and did like Crystal Maze kind of scavenger hunt kind of thing, except this was all self-contained. So we started the rooms ourselves by just like holding our bracelet up to the start of the game. And, uh, you know, some of them we had to, like, stack a tower of blocks to a certain level and then step away so it was freestanding. And that mm -hmm. was, like, one of the simpler ones that we were able to do. Some of the physical ones were really challenging and we're like, we really needed a tall person or, like, something. Oh, I saw too. some of this on Instagram. Yeah. So there was, I mean, one of them was, like, uh, that one was more just, like, a fun little obstacle course where you saw swinging axes and you had to go on the balance beam across. And I failed horribly. <laughs> I that, only did. I only yeah. had one take at it though, so I didn't do it again. I just did it the once and was like, I'm either gonna get this or not. And I did right. not. Did that not looked like it. it would be tough. Well, you just tried to power right through, I think. You yeah. didn't even try to avoid any of the axes. Well, swinging. they were like foam, so it was like, it's not gonna hurt me. Maybe right. I could just bust through. <laughs> right, right. 
But the, the, I mean, some of the games were really creative. There wasn't even a magic one. And okay. uh, I kind of don't want to spoil it, but I mean, uh, if you're in Natick, Massachusetts, in the Natick Mall, <laughs> <laughs> I guess right. that's the place to do it. Uh, you go in, and there's a uh, like a box, like very magic-y looking, like almost like illusion. And one person goes in there, and a uh, there's all these magic posters on the outside where the other person's looking. The person on the inside of the box, there's like an image that pops up of just a tiny piece of one of the several magic posters, and they have to describe what they're seeing so that the other person can find that on the magic poster and then touch that part. And it gets very difficult, especially when these magic posters are all like, you know, it's like, use the elf-looking shoe. It is like, is it this elf-looking shoe or this elf-looking? You know, there's so many things. Or like when it would just be like part of the word great and you're just seeing eat and you're like, I see eat. And you have to describe like the letters are white with a yellow border. And you're like, is it this one or is it this one? And like, if you miss once, you fail the room. Right. you can then just go out and restart the room as many times as you want because you're there for a certain, like you pay for the two hours at a time. But uh, the goal is to get as many of these stars and gems on each of the games as possible. And I think we only got three stars on like two or three of the games. We got like one or two stars on a lot of the other ones, but it's like definitely one where like, we got to go back and try and master all these games. Level 99 is a one location place or is this a chain? I think it is a one location place at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a, it was their soft open. Oh, um, cool. And uh, But it, it does remind me of another place in Massachusetts, I believe in Malden. There's a place called Bodeborg, which is a similar mm-hmm. idea of like these little tasks and you can enter a room and kind of like do it as many times until you complete it. But man, one of the more physical rooms was, <laughs> we didn't even know how to do this one. Um, it was you were in a cell, and mm-hmm. there was a door you can open to get mm-hmm. to the other side, and there mm-hmm. was a window in the cell as well. So if you mm-hmm. open the door, you lose automatically. So we did that, and we went right back out. So you can't open the door to get to the other side. We realized we ah. have to get to the other side, so we're like, all right, let's climb through the window. So as soon as you touch the ledge of the window, we also failed. So we're like, how the hell do we do this? You have to get through the window without touching any of the sides. So... Eventually, we got my friend Brian to go on all fours, and I used his back to kind of step up and, like, use the bars above the window to, like, fling myself through it. And there's mm-hmm. mats on the ground, too, so it's like, you know, if, if when you fall, it's padding. But then we realized that only got us, like, two stars because there was only two of us in the room, and we, like, needed to get the third star. We had to figure out how to get Brian through. Still have no clue. <laughs> so we, right, we only got right. two stars. <laughs> But you made it in there. We made we made a little bit of progress, but it was <laughs> it was definitely one of the more challenging of the the obstacle rooms. So, uh, but it was really I, fun just to like do all these crazy stuff. And there was like a scavenger hunt element that we didn't really participate in, where you like look around at the weird kooky art that they have all over the place. And then there's an arena thing where you can do head to head challenges, and that's very that one reminded me more of like NACA, where they have like these big like climbing walls, and you're going head to head against someone, or like you're doing some sort of like you know touch the buttons as fast as you can kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like these uh, these uh, they they sell them for the the college market to just bring like fun little entertaining things on right. campus, but. Overall, amazing I, experience. I, I want to do some of this VR stuff because you talk about it all the time. Like I know you do a decent amount of it at home, out mm-hmm. at other places. Yeah. And I come into contact with a little bit. Um, the, a lot of the games, the VR stuff is taking over Dave and Buster's. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I always want to do it. 
and uh, I always point at it when we walk by it. With and, and Tiana never wants to do it because she's grossed out to put on the goggles that other people were just wearing. Well, we talked about that from the uh, Van Gogh exhibit we did too, where they had like little like paper things, and hopefully they're spraying them down. But um, it's definitely there's a benefit of having your own VR that you can use and. I mean, I feel like at the Van Gogh exhibit, they might have higher standards of uh, cleanliness than Dave and Buster. Have you been to a Dave and Buster's? I've been to a Dave and Buster's, yeah. (laughs) Well, usually, like, the VR segments are, like, they're they're operated by an employee. It's not just a free-for-all. Like, I did one where it was, like, a sort of a motion odyssey ride, and it was, like, a dinosaur kind of thing, and you're maybe it was Jurassic Park-themed, and you're seeing the dinosaurs as you go. And it's Mm -hmm. just, like, you're in a carriage that's moving and rocking along with the, uh, the VR headset. Yeah, no, this was operated by employees as well. So you're just saying it was like minimum wage. They weren't really doing the COVID precaution. <laughs> I, I'm not sure which precautions were taken. I wanted to do it personally, yeah. so this was more of a Tiana thing. But gotcha. what are you going to yeah, do? You should just so do it. I, I'm going to at some point. I really, I don't think I've ever actually, oh no, I have done it once at like a Caesar's Palace event. Gotcha. And But I just walked around and like I saw a whale and, you mm-hmm. know, it was just like that. And it wasn't interactive the way they are now. This was years ago. Yeah. So. Yeah, man. Wow. Well, uh, I definitely recommend it. Again, this level 99 wasn't necessarily VR, but it did have like the, the escape room kind of elements to it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know. I, you could definitely spend all day there and they have like food and drinks and you sign a little waiver of like, you can't get injured. Like that's standard from all escape rooms, but they also had a thing like, don't get too inebriated. Don't abuse the alcohol. And I was like thinking some of these games, I don't know how you would do even with like one drink in you <laughs> because they're so tricky, either mentally or physically like one room, you know, those um giant like labyrinth games where it's like a ball, you have to roll it around the maze and it can't fall mm-hmm. into the holes. So they had a giant one that you operated by standing on it and you had to go to oh, different wow. corners. Yeah, it was crazy. It's craziness. We did not do well on that one. <laughs> there are some people who'd be really good at that who work in the circus arts. Sure. Yeah. But- some of these games need circus performance. They could get through that, that pirate cage prison cell by just right. like diving through. <laughs> Yeah, gymnast of sorts, right? <laughs> Not us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so check it out. Go to level ninety nine. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it sounds great. Very cool. Yeah. Um, we don't know anything going on in America's Got Talent this week because we're recording a week in advance. Yeah. So go magic. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, this is around the time we'll take you through any magic that took place on the show. Hey, do you want to make any predictions? You're no, you know. I think we're just going to do a recap the following week and cover two weeks of it. But AGT. you're a mentalist. Uh, let's see. Well, I think what Leah Kyle might be on. Ah. Maybe. Oh, you're predicting who's going to be on, not the yeah, outcome. You're just predicting who they might put on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and then the uh, the mentalist, Peter Antonou. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm down with that. I'm going to say those are the two next week, unless they're doing like multiple Usually they do two weeks of semifinals. This is all going right. to sound ridiculous because it already happened and people are going to listen to it after the fact. So I don't think that's part oh, of us predicting. Oh, right. So we're making a prediction, a wrong prediction, <laughs> after everyone already knows the outcome. Perfect. That sounds like something that belongs on the Mind Over Magic podcast to me. Exactly. So like Simon will say something and he might be impressed or he might be a little snarky. So Fredo right. will be like very like over the top with her, some of her responses. Heidi will be skeptical and a little snarky. And then uh, how we will make a joke. So those are the predictions. 
<laughs> and Terry Crews will come out and maybe do his uh, little peck flex, is my guess. I feel like this is cold reading. <laughs> yes. <laughs> maybe even warm reading. Yeah, exactly. I know a little bit about those subjects. <laughs> yeah. So you've got those gigs coming up. you got the travels. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, mm-hmm. hopefully they're all going well right now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Hopefully I'm having a good time at the Airbnb. Well, I'll have just done the Rose Room as well. Um, and um, uh, yeah, man, uh, what? how's your magic going? You're, you're, my, are you like learning more, doing more magic-y stuff now in your free time? My disease is flaring up. It's your disease. Yes. I mean, because it, it, it really does feel like I'll sit down at my little table in my little chair and I'll have a deck of cards and a book or a video or both or all of the above. And I'll sit down and work on a move and just hours, I'm talking five hours, just goes by really? in a snap. Oh, no yeah. Way. What kind oh, of moves yeah. are you doing? Um, I've been working on some gambling moves, second deals, things like that. Um, I got into, uh, there's a guy in the UK, Ben Earl. And yeah. if any magicians are listening to this, uh, mm-hmm. if you're not familiar with his work, definitely look into it. It's it's. The theory is great. The philosophy is great, and uh, and and his chops are outstanding as well. But it's, it's the way he approaches moves. Let me just give you a little sampling. Um, he sent me some stuff that he had filmed and put out there over the pandemic that people can get access to at studio fifty two dot com. So there are moves in magic. Can I get a little magicy with you? Yeah, I just like the name Studio Fifty Two is like Studio Fifty Four, but because of playing cards. Exactly. I'm connected to that. <laughs> right. Um, I'm going to get a little magic here. Please. Okay. We are a magic so, podcast. All right. All right. <laughs> so I, I'm going to get a little technical here, but there are moves in magic. I, ju- I already said one, second deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me describe what that is. Yes. That's when you deal the second card from the top of the deck. And which lo- looks like you're dealing the top card. Right. And, it, and, it's, and it's a... It's a hard thing to do, but it's even a hard thing to conceptualize if you never thought about it before. Like a bottom deal, for example, is when you deal the bottom card of, of the deck. And these are gambling moves that, you know, card cheats would use in a card mm-hmm. game. But like it's easy for someone to conceptualize taking the bottom card. It's even harder to conceptualize. Wait a minute. The second card from the top? How do you even access it? Right. It's almost harder to wrap your head around, but it is a thing and it can be done completely seamlessly. Um, then in Magic, there's a move called the top change. I'm, I'm getting really inside baseball here. Sure. Um, but it's when you have a card in your hand and you switch it for the top card in the deck. No one knows. Then there's another move. Now they do because you just told them. Yeah, but this is okay <laughs> to talk about here. This is sure. okay to talk about here. Then there's a move called a double lift, which just in broad strokes is holding two cards as one. Okay? Revealed it. Boom. But the thing I never thought about before that Ben has put together a whole series on, four lectures that are like an hour and a half each, are how all three moves are sort of the same thing. Mm. There is a moment during all three of those moves where if you freeze framed it, you wouldn't know if that person was doing a top change, a double lift, or a second deal. Gotcha. They all have this commonality, and they all can sort of flow together, and you can switch from one to the other instead based on what happens in the moment. It's all about being present and like instead of doing that top change that you would normally do, maybe someone spilled a drink and you have to pause now and you have to switch it back. Otherwise the trick is ruined. Cause it's like, you know what I mean? Like anything can happen and you need to be able to flow from one thing to the next and determine almost through muscle memory, which move needs to be used next. Um, 
based on the situation rather than just doing the same thing every time sometimes the same way you respond to things presentationally mm -hmm. you can also respond to things in terms of magic methods that you're using and sleight of hand techniques that you're using and body language that you're using and i just was flowing on this stuff for hours yesterday and the day before and i'm having a good time with it but i strongly suggest it the ideas and the naturalness and everything that sort of coexists in in this uh this world of of sleight of hand it's very very interesting stuff for for nerd magi like myself yeah i was trying to see like what the best comparison you can kind of do it both through the arts and sports of like stopping game tape and like seeing the exact moments and like freeze framing and finding where those move movements are the same every time you know you do a layup or a tackle yes. or whatever or like choreography and ballet it's almost like you're choreographing these moves so that they're all like finding that rhythm and flow and the same and and the artistic side of the the natural curvatures and the lines that you're creating to make things smooth and and uh seamless well, you just brought it to my attention. Another thing that he actually mentioned, which blew my mind. I was like, yes, this is real. Um, he said he thinks of the cards as an extension of himself. Oh. And he related it to sports. And he said, if you watch these top athletes, the football or whatever mm -hmm. it is, it is literally an extension of themselves. Yeah. That's how they're able to achieve these things. And I believe it. And it sounds sort of esoteric and mystical, but... If you think about it that way, it does change the way that you behave with that uh, physical item. It's uh, So, yeah, I mean, I was carrying around cards all day with me yesterday. I even went to a restaurant and just had them in my hand the whole time. I, wow. Yeah, everywhere. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm palming cards. I'm doing cuts one-handed. I'm doing, you know, uh, side steals. And just I don't even – I'm not even conscious of exactly what I'm doing, but just getting really used to – these flow states of flowing from one thing to the next. And that way, when you're in the moment, you know which move is the appropriate thing to do. And, and it gets to the point where you don't even remember what you did. It's like, yeah, I know I controlled the t card to the top when I did that, but I don't remember which technique I used because you oh, did what was right. That's so fast. That's like bringing this all to that extra higher level. Like you're saying that flow state when everything becomes so ingrained and second nature to you that, you can separate yourself and it almost becomes, I mean, everyone talks about that kind of metaphysical when you're in the zone type of like you become this higher version of yourself, your higher being. And that takes over the, the muse. So they say sometimes of like, you know, of tackling that all artists are trying to strive for of that perfection, that out of body experience, uh, which, you know, is nice to think about in terms of like, you know, outside your body, but like in terms of, is that, is that a real thing? I don't know too, but uh, yeah, I think that, I think you're trying to get to that plane that kind of like, it sounds very meditative in a way as well of like separating your mind and your body and just like letting the artistic expression come out. Well, yeah. And that expression is different every time based on the situation. And you're right. The body is such a big part of it. Like certain moves in magic, you don't see the uh the pass or the shift or the switch when it happens um you see it before it happens you see the get ready you see the shoulders tense up and the repositioning of the deck in the hand and you're before they even do the the fake deal you know it's coming yeah so sometimes if if you need to relax your hands because your wrist is tense and it you know you can tell you're about to do a pinky count or whatever the move is 
it's important to like when you're practicing just think about it focus your attention on that hand that finger that wrist that arm whatever it is that posture and just relax it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um that's that's great I think getting to the point, uh, again, with the sports, getting to the point where uh, it's the same thing with scripting, right? You're able to improvise in the moment because you have a script. You don't have to think about what you're saying. So you're able to veer off and get back on. And we've talked about this before on the cast. But uh, it's the same thing with these moves. They're muscle memory. So you don't have to think about what you're doing. It's, It's just happening, right? I think it's the same thing when you watch a football player. I'm always amazed. How do they catch that ball one-handed by the sidelines and then also keep the toes in? I know, yeah, yeah. That's like the first thing they teach you is got to get those toes in, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, if it's the first thing they teach you, I feel like it's got to be one of the last things you master. It right. looks so hard. I know. Like, <laughs> Just to like get that touchdown, like literally a touchdown by your toe touching down. But, yeah. <laughs> but they're able to catch that ball one-handed, stretching their full extension without thinking about it. That mm-hmm. catch mm-hmm. is second nature, and they're only focused maybe, or maybe they're not even thinking about the toes, and they just know I got to keep my toes in, and their body just knows how to do it. It's it's unbelievable. It blows my mind yeah that's uh, that's yeah that's i mean that's what we strive to get to as i mean artists or sports as artists or whatever we're talking about here yeah but uh to get to that higher level where it becomes almost more transit transcendent of just i'm gonna do the moves i'm gonna find this artistic expression i'm gonna be the best i can be and that's why we're all st- always striving for perfection, but we can't always necessarily achieve it. But I think it's a good goal to have to keep getting to that state, you know? Did did we talk about how magic is not a sport a couple of weeks ago? Um, yeah, well, it's hard to compete, right? It's like uh, it's an art form in terms of like judging. We were talking about it with AGT, too, I right. think. Of like, right. So, right. you know, can be so subjective on what's good and what's not. Um, so it's hard but you're okay with it? You're okay with it. magic, you know, being portrayed as a sport or, or, or other forms of art as well? I mean, uh, I think... For TV shows and so on? Like, you like that or... Yes and no. I don't know what I said on those past episodes when we talked about it. <laughs> 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 but uh, my current feelings are, you know, I think there's a, there's a place to it to, like, for the things you can measure in terms of the technical aspect. I think that's there. But again, once you get to that artistic side of it, the judging is really just about how it makes the audience feel and mm-hmm, uh you know mm-hmm. it can be a little disservice to try and compare apples to oranges because each artist's expression should be a reflection of them as an individual and who they are and maybe it's just not your taste as an audience member sometimes or maybe it's like meant to rub you the wrong way because it's trying to evoke that emotion so it's like was it successful if 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 an art piece is supposed to make you upset is it successful that you got upset by it <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, <laughs> or are you just mad that you're upset and you're like, screw that art piece, you know? I, I don't know. Do I even need to take from an art piece whatever the artist intended me to take from it? I feel like it's open to interpretation by definition, no? That's the oh, that's that's a much bigger philosophical debate of like what the artist intends and then the audience being an active participant in the experience of it. I think so much in magic, it has to be the audience's uh, participation in it because that's the only place where magic actually occurs. It's not the technical aspects of the sleight of hand. It's what the person perceives to be real and then what is broken in their own reality by what they're witnessing. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's where really magic happens. So I think, you know, that's where it differs from like an artist who can just 
do what they intend to express on a page, on a canvas with, you know, like a Jackson Pollock ink blot, you know, splatter paint could mean something different to the viewer. But he obviously had his own intention and process as well. Uh, but I think, yeah, it's just it's it's that byplay of what the artist is trying to say and the audience is perceiving. And that's somewhere in the middle is art, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I always know what I want like the message to be. I mean, I, I feel like I do have a POV, which is important, mm -hmm. but like, I'm not sure I always know exactly what people are going to take from it. And I'm like, I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah. I mean, even there's a whole thing. I mean, even just with the writing kick I've been on is like, sometimes you're just writing and you put it out there and you don't care what other people think about it. And like right, the right. people who will find it and get it will be gravitated towards it. And the people who don't won't, but that's not your audience per se. So you just have to, do the work be if it's fulfilling for you to create the art to put it out there and not care about the response to it and just while people are worried about the response keep creating more art and just doing your own you know making your own portfolio and breadth of work uh, but right. then there's another part of like yeah i do want to affect people and this is what i'm trying to say but if they're not getting that am i really conveying the ideas the way i want to as an artist sure right <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I know what I want to say generally, but like I never know how I want them to necessarily interpret it. Like I never go in, I don't find myself going into the creative process thinking, let's create something in such a way that'll make people feel sad or feel sure. scared or feel like I, I don't ever think that way. Do, do you do that? Do other people do that? I think I have for like my shows. I have. That's, yeah, that's weird. I have um, emotions I want the audience to go through. Yeah, and, am I no, successful me too. all the time? Like, especially with magic, you want people to be amazed. That's the definition of having some magic, I think. I, I think of, the of, point is, I don't know what that emotion is until I'm like halfway through the process. So you put it up there without knowing, but in the process of putting it up there, you'll figure out what that's evoking and then kind of lean into that. Yeah, exactly. So like mm. I'll be working on a routine and then I'll say, okay, this needs music that's a little quieter or more somber or more upbeat or whatever. And then that'll like, as you get to those elements, it'll dictate, okay, like the direction this is going in for me. Does, do you ever think of the end picture first of like, I want this to be the image. Like, even if it's just like, I want the audience standing at the end or like, I want everyone happy and laughing. Like, like do you uh, picture that first and work your way back at all? I, I, I think I try to, but I think like that end tableau if you will like evolves as a piece comes to be mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i i usually try and set out with like a premise because my whole thing is like i want some comedic angle into it right but right. again balancing the comedic angle with the amazement is always that tricky balance too of like where to pull back on that so that the amazement can shine through so that's where i play with a lot of the things when i'm workshopping it and putting that up on stage but i, I my basically my always my two reactions because of my style i want you know some laughter and then some amazement and i where those fall can change within a piece and that's what i'm playing around with but I do know those are my end goals and the reactions I want from the audience. So if it's not hitting that, then it's like, okay, what's going wrong with that piece? How can I adjust that? So they're laughing more or amazed more um, throughout. And then I also wrestle just too with if I'm doing a full show and those are the only two emotions I'm evoking. Right. Am I limiting myself? Should there be more balance of ebb and flow of like, 
a more inspired or a sentimental emotion I could be tackling and finding a way to do that within my character is the is the challenge at that point just to give the show level so it's not always riding at that same constant pace and expectation throughout because if people are expecting the same thing over and over again then it just becomes boring at that monotonous point, you know and monotonous and it's kind of like when i'm revealing things i'm <laughs> i actually used this in a show recently because like by the end of the show the reactions were a little bit more subdued than i was used to and i was like i get it you're expecting me to be correct all the time you've seen a whole show 45 minutes so far of me just nailing things left and right but you gotta remember what's really happening and i had to like drive that point home i was like we don't have the ability to know what's in people's heads, but I'm telling right. you, like I had to re up that a little bit so that, right. Because at that time it was like, Oh, this audience is feeling that little monotonousness. And maybe that was me as a performer at that night. I just didn't really drive those points home the way I wanted to, you know? No, that's a, an amazing point. And that is the one uh, thing that does sometimes drive me to, uh, create something with a certain desired outcome like if you're looking at your show as a whole and you realize oh it needs this yeah now it put it's a tough situation let's say you need a something that feels more sentimental just as your example it, it it's good because now you know what it needs or could use it's hard because you don't want whatever you create to feel forced because now yeah. you know it needs it mm-hmm. there's so. that whole thing too is the more you're trying to push something in like it's got to all feel natural at the end, too, because the audience is aware when you're trying to evoke something, too. Like, sometimes when I'm in an audience and I see, like, oh, here comes the sappy music. They want me right. to feel this certain way now, and now I'm going to fight against that because that's exactly what they're trying to manipulate me into. And that's where, like, I get jaded as an audience member sometimes. You try not to get manipulated when you're in a theater? Well, I mean, like, audience? if I'm aware of it, like, I want that manipulation of the, what they're trying to get me to feel to be subtle or, like, ingrained enough in the story that I'm not thinking about the tricks and tools that they're doing to manipulate me. If that oh, makes but sense. it's so hard for us as performers to, like, not analyze, you right, know, just right, right, it's right, so right. easy to sit there and now it's like you notice the lighting and the programming and you notice the set changes and, like, those okay. things are so... Yeah, but counter to that, you know when you're not noticing it as a performer, mm. when you're sucked into it. And mm. you don't you you can suspend that part of your brain as a performer to be like, how did they get me here? Because you don't even care at that point because you're so enveloped into what they're giving you that you're actually being, you know, manipulated is a weird word, but you're you're actually expressing those reactions that they want you to re- react because you're doing it honestly and in, in like sincere, sincerely. So, yeah, that happened to me yesterday. I went back and watched a video from a concert I was at. It, really? It was a, yeah, it was a Mark Knopfler concert at the Greek Theater in Los Angeles in 2019. Mm-hmm. And uh, I very seldom like take videos when I'm at things like that because I want to enjoy the moment. Sure. And. Everyone else is already doing it. So when I wanted to watch a video from that show I was at, I went on YouTube. (laughs) So funny. (laughs) And I literally found, you know, every song I could have wanted to find. I've definitely recorded like at concerts or fireworks or whatever, but it's like I never did that next step of uploading it. It just sits on the (laughs) phone and I never rewatch it. And then I never rewatch it. (laughs) Exactly. But anyway, something inspired me to go back and rewatch it. I don't remember what. Um, Mm -hmm. And you know what's funny is like I noticed the lighting design. Which oh. I never noticed huh. live. 
Oh, fantastic. I was like, oh, they have some auras there and X-bars there. And, oh, wow, the, sta- the stage manager, the-, the show caller, must be calling that every four beats when they do this because all the lights flash, synchronize at that part. And, like, I'm watching it now disconnected on YouTube. But, like, when I was there in the moment, I didn't notice any of that, but I felt all of it. That's what I was going to say. I think that's my, maybe the best analogy of what you just described. Because you were one step removed, you weren't in the experience anymore. You could analyze everything a little bit more clearer and see how those tricks and tools were being used to create that experience. But when you were in it, you were just experiencing it. And you were like you were saying, you're almost feeling it subconsciously rather than mm-hmm. consciously. And I think that's a good analogy to why people have difficulty with TV magic or social media mm. magic because it's that same idea is you you can be removed from it because of a screen in your own your own personal environment and the difference is live you can have this full it can almost reach you at a subconscious level that you're not even aware of and that magic could be stronger seeing it live well that's the thing too yeah so these things work for better and for worse right. it ties right back into what i was saying about the the, the the posture that changes right before the, the magician does the false deal or the pass mm-hmm. or the secret move. You don't know as a spectator that what they did or or what the technique was, but and you don't even know why you know it, but subconsciously you felt they just they something was not right there. Yeah, absolutely. Because you felt that posture change. You don't know it's that their shoulders tightened necessarily or their their hand got tense. But you felt, oh, they they just got ready to do something. You might not even be able to articulate that. Right, exactly. But something in you feels amiss. And yes, you can't yes. put your finger on it. Or maybe you don't even know it until after it happened. You know, right. Right. <laughs> right. It's like it's the whole thing with like going back to the sports or dance analogy or whatever. It's, it's when you're telegraphing something, you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of. It takes you out of that moment or, you know, if you're, if you're competing in a sport, your opponent can read you before you even do the thing. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's, 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 it's at that other plane where you're not necessarily consciously thinking about it all the time, but you are picking up on it and you are reacting in a way that you didn't even know you would react to it sometimes yeah and and, and then, yeah exactly and, and it works to the benefit as well you, and when you're sitting in the audience you might not notice the music is swelling up louder you might not notice that when they turned the card over it was right on the beat of the music and the build-up um you know the, the lighting change happened right at the same time you might not notice all those things but you feel them that's the goal yeah that is, is that you goal. feel them mm-hmm. rather than uh Forcing feel it, like yeah. you're being swindled what right. did you say manipulated, uh, manipulated <laughs> yeah, yeah. into feeling something yeah, so yeah i agree man it's it's that it's tough it's that balance and it's just like getting to that next level and uh when you can get there and uh, i mean that's what we all strive for as artists but uh i say we we, we went long on a uh, this philosophical topic which i loved but uh i think our listeners don't want to miss a riddle matt so <laughs> all righty Let's get it to Diddle Me This. Diddle me this, diddle me that. Will Eric end up stumping Matt? Riddles. All right. This five-letter word becomes shorter when you add two letters to it. What five-letter word becomes shorter when you add two letters to it? I've got it. Already. Well, give him a second to focus. I'll read it one more time. This five-letter word becomes shorter when you add two letters to it. Matt, give me it. What is it? Short. That is correct. And the two letters you add are E-R. <laughs> I love it. Not starring George Clooney. Did you ever watch <laughs> E-R? 
No, I've heard of it though. Shorter, shorter. That's a that was a quick and down and dirty riddle. Let's jump into trivia. Matt picks up the question, then he stares at it. Eric's at the ready, time to use his wit. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Trivia, pressure, trivia time. Ready for you. All right. I'm trying to remember if we did this one already, but I'm going to throw it at you. Havana is the capital of what country? That would be Cuba. You got it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that is Matt and Eric doing bank trivia. (laughs) (laughs) That was fast. Easy. Uh, I don't think I knew that until I was in Guys and Dolls, though, because that's like a plot point of that show. I think I did that in middle school where they take take, – Take, they take a trip down to Havana. Trivia part two. Would you suspect that I did this question before or not? I don't think you did. You don't think so? No, I don't think so. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, well, I think that's a good place to call it, though. We don't really have goals because this is a bank, so we're still working on our goals from last week but um if you want to write into us uh, we're always looking for trivia we're always looking for riddles uh but also just like if you have any things you want to add on to like our long phil- philosophical discussion about becoming TV dinners <laughs> that's not what i was gonna say <laughs> but to like jump into that conversation about reaching that higher plane and and what you're trying to evoke as an artist uh fascinated to hear any of your thoughts uh if you've if you spend any time thinking about it, or if not, think about it now and want to chime in, uh, email us at mindovermagicpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on the socials at mindmagicpod. So what what do you got coming up uh, for, for plugs uh, when this releases, Matt? Oh, well, in a few days when this releases, I'll be back in Vegas after a short break. Um, so we'll be doing our, our regular schedule at the Link Hotel and Experience ticketmaster.com or mattfranco.com to come see us in las vegas wonderful and uh, when this drops i'll be in the middle of my crazy cross-country tour uh travel leg and then um following you know my alabama to new york to oregon i'll be at drexel university uh, i believe with a friend our derek hughes and i are going to be there together Oh, so cool. And then at Sacred Heart, uh, which uh, is, a, is a go-to school for me. They've had me several years. It's a fantastic uh, school. And then uh, University of Delaware later that week. So, And uh, in a private gig. So I've got a full week that, that following, uh, you know, once this drops. So keeping busy, always staying uh, focused there. But uh, we appreciate you listening to us. And, uh, Matt, this was fun. Awesome time. See you soon. See you soon. Take care, everyone. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.